Dear Lord, thanks so much for your goodness and for your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we're just so thankful to be your children and to sit at your feet and to hear the words that you have preserved for us. Um, this word that is inerrant, it's infallible, it's um, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, this word that's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So much richness here, Lord. And uh, we, we pray that it, we would give it the honor it deserves and that we would hear from you and that our lives would be reflective of the fact that you have spoken to us by your Holy Spirit through your word today. So, Lord, that's a lot to ask. And frankly, we're not capable of any of that, but you are. And so we ask that you would do all that in our lives today, all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn, if you would, to Titus chapter 3. Uh, if you're new or visiting, uh, we have a habit. We go verse by verse, line by line through the Bible, uh, because uh, the Bible's smarter than I am. And so uh, that's just the simple truth. And so uh, we do that. We're kind of marching through Old Testament and New Testament. Today we find ourselves finishing the pastoral epistles, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We've been in that for a few weeks. And then prior to that, we left off at Ezekiel. So next week we go back to Daniel. We'll do Daniel, and then we'll come back. And then we start, to, you know, because you get in those latter books of the Old Testament, particularly they're small, so it'll be feel a little bit like a volleyball game, right? We'll do uh, Daniel, Philemon, Hosea, uh, Hebrews, that'll be a little bit longer, and then I think Joel, and uh, they go on, okay? So we'll do all that to Revelation and Malachi. Then you know what we'll do after that? If the Lord tarries? Genesis chapter 1. And so, uh, anyway, let me just, uh, can I prep you a little bit for Daniel? It was awesome. I got to get a drink of water. <laughs> Daniel. You know, we grow up thinking Daniel, Daniel is like the flannel graphs of like Daniel in the lion's den, right? Which it is. It's somebody that people from your generation used to use. Um, but the... Uh, there is so much richness there in, in the book of Daniel. There is so much application to um, uh, basically living as pilgrims in a, in a pagan culture, which is applicable. There's so much in terms of history, which is fascinating. There's so much in terms of prophecy that was fulfilled that we can look back when Daniel wrote it and it got fulfilled and we can say, yep, there's evidence that God knows what he's talking about. And with that, then we can see prophecy that was also given at the same time that has yet to be fulfilled. Prophecy that was fulfilled in the Old Testament time, prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus' time, and prophecies that yet to be fulfilled. It's just a brilliant book. And uh, I'm super excited about it. And so, um, anyway, that's Daniel. 
lest we seem disappointed to read Titus, uh, I won't puff up Daniel anymore, okay? Titus is awesome, right? Titus is an awesome book. Titus was, uh, he was an overseer of some churches in the island of Crete. Paul is writing this letter to him. Um, uh, he's really kind of a, a, a go-to guy for Paul, and Paul sends him on lots of various uh, uh, projects and and uh, pastoral duties and stuff like that. And, and these are just some, some fantastic um, principles regarding church stuff and ministry. And, and as, as we've said before, ministry things apply to us because if we're believers, we're ministers in our own way. And so uh, ministry is not uh, just limited to some guy with a robe uh, or some guy with, you know, whatever. Uh, ministry is all of us. So great principles. He starts, he says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Now, remind them, or remind you, or remind me, or remind us. The word remind, can I point out to us? Pretty simple grammar, right? means we already know it. That make sense? Did I lose anybody? No, remind me means I already know it. How much of what we say here, I can take it so you can answer this question honestly, okay? How much of what I say up here is like, whoa, dude, that was insightful. I've never heard that before. Like, give it a percent. 25, that was generous. She hadn't been here very long. <laughs> Two or three. I'm going to call it two or three, maybe, on a good day. Okay? And that's something that's not in my notes that the Holy Spirit, Lord willing, stuck in my head at the right time. Okay? Most of what we do, and this has a, this has a point, most of what we talk about are reminders. Right? I can't remember if I mentioned this last week. Boy, I'm doing this a lot. You know when I talked last, was it last week I talked about the sovereignty and responsibility spectrum? Yeah. yeah. And I talked about the, um, there's a cliff off of each side of the spectrum. Everybody with me on that? And the cliff off of the responsibility side. I heard after the fact, I kid you not, I'm talking about the cliff off the responsibility side. One of my kids leans over to the other one and said, he's going to talk about that lady at Walmart. right? I'm pretty predictable, right? The Bible's pretty predictable, right? Remind them. I'm not going to give you any new insight, but here's what I will tell you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. And I hope you know that I'll hammer this hopefully forever. It's required that one be found faithful, and what that means is steward, right? A steward was like the manager of the rich man's stuff, okay? Well, in our metaphor, the rich man is God, and his stuff is my life. And so I'm kind of a manager of my life, which belongs to him. Fair enough? And what's my duty in that? Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found successful. Did you say that? insightful 
No. Prosperous? No. Smart? Witty? Any of those? No. Faithful. Faithful. And what does the, what, if I'm going to be faithful, or if you're going to be faithful, what does that mean? That means we go the distance. That means we go the distance, putting one foot in front of the other, day by day, week by week, month by month, decade by decade, until we stop breathing or Jesus comes back. That's faithfulness. Now, having said that, how often do we see that? Not enough. That's just the frank truth. Not enough. We see it too often like the parable of the soils. Remember Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, the sower and the soils? So the sower goes out to sow seed. Some seed he throws on the, uh, on the hard ground, doesn't sprout anything. Well, we know that's just the person that doesn't receive the Lord, right? And we get that, right? That happens. I could sow seed. I've, I've sown seed in this room before, right? Not to any of you guys. But I've been in this room before. I can like almost read it on their face like, would you wrap this up so I can have lunch? <laughs> right? Sometimes that happens. That's okay. Some seed falls on the stony ground. And then the stony ground, the, the, the dirt is real shallow and, and you know, it might form a, a, a weed real quick or the, the seed might catch real quick and grow up, but, you know, Jesus said when, when it's kind of like the person that kind of receives everything real quick, wow, that was awesome what you said. I'm, I'll never be the same. I'm changed. I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord. Rock and roll for Jesus, right? And then says when uh, persecution comes or challenge or difficulty, it says because of the word, then they just fall away. Right? What does that person need? Does that person need insight or does that person need a reminder to be faithful? Reminder. Person needs a reminder to be faithful. What's the third kind of soil? Third kind of soil is the one that grows up in thorns. You know, the, the thorny soil, the, you know, where the, the thorns are kind of like the, they choke out the fruitfulness of the word, right? The fruitfulness of the plant that's growing. And the, the thorns are representative of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. What does that person need? A reminder. That person needs a reminder to be faithful. And then finally, there's the, one that, there's the seed that falls on good soil. That person just bears fruit, right? You know what I've noticed in my life? When I have the privilege of sowing God's Word, and I can't make a doctrine out of this necessarily, but you know what it seems like to me? Seems like about 25% of the people, not 25% in this room, because we've selected out a select group that chose to come back, <laughs> right? And so uh, there's a little self-selectivity and all that. Um, but when I sow the word, either at my job or here or through life or whenever I have the opportunity, and it says the seed is the Word of God, whenever I have opportunity to do that, I've found over the years that about 25% of the people say, yeah, whatever, what's for lunch? About 25% of the people say, yeah, that's awesome. I'm all in, man. And six months later, you don't know where they're at. About 25% of the people say, 
yeah, that's awesome, but, you know, I've got to manage my 401k and, and, and keep things in order. And about 25% of them say, that's awesome, and, you, and they're dialed in. Isn't that interesting? The Lord gave us that metaphor. And he went on to say, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? It's like the kingpin of parables, Right? You know what all that was? All that was an encouragement of that first word, remind. All right? So we're on a roll. <laughs> remind them. Much of what we need is reminders. We don't need exotic insights. We just need faithfulness. Remind them of what? To be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Warren Wearsby wrote this in, check this out, 1981. my freshman year of college, by the way. He wrote, quote, Christians were often looked on with suspicion in the Roman Empire because their conduct was so different, and they met in private meetings for worship. That was in the Roman Empire. And he wrote it in 1981. Isn't that kind of like... I think Warren should write that in 2023, right? Christians were looked on with suspicion. Are we looked on with suspicion today? Are we referred to sometimes as them? Right? Yeah, we are. We're looked on with suspicion. And so it is what it is. But for us, Philippians 3.20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I like, I was listening to a guy this week, he's talking about this. He said, really, we're like dual citizens. You think about this. <coughs> Some people in the world have dual citizenship, right? For various reasons. They might, have, they might be citizens of one country and also citizens of another. That's possible, okay? We are dual citizens. We're citizens of heaven, and we're citizens of here, assuming we're all citizens of the United States, we're citizens of heaven and as citizens of the United States of America. Right? We're dual citizens. He says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So our primary citizenship is where? Heaven or United States? Heaven. But that should affect and drive the behavior that we exercise in our secondary citizenship. Fair enough? Now, I told you we're going to talk about Daniel ne starting next week, right? About, th uh, I think, three weeks into that, we're going to read about three guys. Remember them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And the uh, authority under the, that they were under said, hey, I want you guys to bow down to that thing. And what did they do? They didn't obey Titus chapter 3. Is that true? No, they obeyed Titus chapter 3 in the context of the scripture, right? So we have a primary citizenship and a secondary citizenship. Our primary citizenship needs to drive the behavior of our secondary citizenship, and our secondary citizenship needs to express being subject to the rulers and authority, to obey, to be ready for every good work, except to the point that it violates that primary citizenship. Fair enough? We're getting a little closer to the pandemic, aren't we? Can you feel it? 
Can you feel it coming? Like, this is not like the pandemic, but me talking about the pandemic, right? Right? Fair enough? And let me just say this, because it's relevant, and you know, I know you're all thinking this, and it's kind of the elephant in the room. You want me to talk about it, and, and yet you don't want me to talk about it, and it's kind of weird, and this is what we've been doing for the last three years, right? So, let me just say this. In 2020, I think, yeah, 2020, spring of 2020, there were lots of unknowns, right? And churches were told to close, right? We met virtually for a couple months, right? We were trying to be subject to this, right? We were trying to do it in a respectful way. You know, there were those that took the other, you know, uh, they would take, let's say, for example, in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. And they chose to meet anyway. Fair enough? I think it's most important that we don't pick apart who's right and who's wrong. Does that make sense? That's number one most important. Number two, I'll just say this. Uh, we know a lot more now than we did three years ago. Socially, medically, uh, just lots of ways, right? If they, asked, if they asked us to shut down again, I would, I'm not sure what I'd say. But I wouldn't say automatically no. I mean, I wouldn't say automatically yes. I have to pray about that, right? And each of these situations is, a, is, a, is sort of, a, we think of it like uh, one decision at a time, Lord, give me wisdom, Lord, what do we do? But just, the order is important. We're dual citizens. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. That should drive the behavior of our secondary citizenship, okay, unless it violates the primary citizenship. Does that make sense? Now, having said that, okay, that's like, you know, the whole world was divided then over whether you met in church or not and, you know, all of that. And there's just so much. Can I just say this? There's a lot of issues that can just go away if we, as Christians, demonstrate respectfulness. A lot of the fights just melt away. You've heard me say it before. Again, my kids will probably mock me for repeating this. I'm so blessed by how this church handled the pandemic. Right? We had some people that were, you know, all about wearing masks. And you know what other people, and we had some people that weren't, right? And you know what happened? Craziest thing happened. A person walks in wearing a mask. Check it out. And the other people, like the person maybe that's not so, uh, you know, all about wearing a mask. You know what the person did? Chose not to necessarily give the masked person a big hug and a kiss. Is that hard? Does that take just like 3D discernment? No, right? And so we can all kind of navigate with some degree of respect for one another and for the authority that we're under, our secondary citizenship, but ultimately our primary citizenship. But how we do that really matters. This word citizenship, where he says our citizenship is in heaven, the Greek word is politiuma. Guess what we get our word from? There. Politics. 
It's our citizenship, right? So we should be good citizens. We should be example-setting citizens, but we should also be discerning citizens. Verse 2, he says, To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. You see the vibe here? How we carry ourselves is just as important as what we believe. And notice he extends this now, not just to the rulers and authorities, but now he's saying to all men. How we carry ourselves to others matters. I can have a conviction, and I have learned this slowly, believe me, over the years. Slowly. And I'm continuing to learn it. You know, I was telling a guy this week, it seems like... um, It seems a little backwards, but this is how it seems like it rolls out sometimes. In my life, conviction came into my life early on. Man, I knew what I believed, and I was, I was set on it, right? I could speak it, yell it, scream it, beat on it. I knew my conviction. And then the grace and the compassion comes a few decades later, right? That's so often how it happens in life, right? You know, that's why we read last week about all those things that young men are supposed to be sober-minded, right? But it's a beautiful thing when conviction and compassion go hand in hand. That's a beautiful thing. And we should all, I should continue to strive for that. Um, And can I tell you this also? When I have a conviction, usually in my conviction, I'm trying to persuade the other person to embrace my conviction. Does that that make sense? I'm trying to, usually if I have a conviction about something, whether it's, well, regardless what it is, I have a a strong belief, I, I I, I really think that this ought to go this way, or or, you know, whether it's personally or medically or socially or politically. And <clears throat> I'm having a conversation with another person. What does it do to my credibility if I call that person an idiot? What just happened to my credibility, my ability to persuade that person? It's gone. Right? And you know what's. I just want to say it. You know what happens too often amongst Christians? Is we talk about that conviction. Maybe it's political. Let's just say political, because it often is. Let's say I'm, I'm expressing a political conviction to this person. I call him an idiot, or the equivalent of it, right? Sometimes we can nicely call somebody an idiot. You all know how to do that, right? Anybody know how to do that? I teach you, right? We, can ni- we know how to nicely call somebody an idiot, And then you know what we do? We tell them about the love of Jesus. And we wonder why they don't hear us. Catch that? We rant on our politics, and then we talk about the love of Jesus and wonder why they don't hear us. I think how we carry ourselves really, really matters. And how we carry ourselves I've I've said it, I know I've said this a million times. We have a tremendous opportunity in this world we live in today because it is so divided. 
there's so much divisiveness that that really presents to us an opportunity. It's pretty easy to be different. You don't have to be Mr. Rogers to look nice in this day and age. Right? You can just be you. It is possible and even commanded that when we disagree with someone, we do it without speaking evil. We do it being peaceable. We do it with gentleness. And we do it with humility. I think of it like this. If I'm a toy car, gentleness and humility are the batteries of the toy car. How's that for a metaphor? You like that one? Right? Gentleness and humility are like what drive the persuasiveness, the persuasion, the power of my argument. I've seen this played out so many times, time and time again. Gentleness and humility drive persuasiveness. It's, and if you don't believe me, read the book of Proverbs. It's all over the book of Proverbs. Verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Bless your hearts, right? That's how we've been. We've been that way. Now, some of us grew up very rough around the edges. Some of us maybe grew up in Christian homes, maybe grew up you know, more tame than others. But the reality is, apart from Jesus, this is who we are. I mean, it could be, it could look nice in a, you know, if you, if, you know, some people, they, you know, had a radical transformation, you know, and other people's maybe not so radical. But the point is, this is truly who we are apart from Jesus. Foolish. Anybody ever been foolish? Disobedient? Yep. Deceived? Yep. Notice this, serving various lusts and pleasures. If you've ever had the, the uh, difficult opportunity to minister to someone that was addicted to drugs or alcohol, and I mean addicted, like I mean addicted out of control, it's, it's heartbreaking. They are, they are shackled by that thing. They are a prisoner of that thing, right? But check this out. So were we. Our thing may have been less ugly than drugs, but we had a thing, right? Again, apart from Jesus, we all have a thing. Lest we look down on anybody whose struggle might be different than ours was, or ours even is today, right? We all have a thing. He says, you were serving various lusts. That means you were a slave to whatever that thing was. And we all have a thing or had a thing or in the process of getting through that thing, right? And that thing is selfishness. It may manifest as one thing or another, but at the root, it's selfishness. It's pride. It's a desire to do it on our own. Ephesians chapter 2, I love this. Listen to these words. 
and you he made alive. You've heard me say before, one of my favorite Bible teachers I love to listen to, he always says, Christianity does not make good people better. It makes dead people alive. If you come here today, like, I want to hear from the Lord so I can kind of clean myself up a little bit, tidy off the rough edges, smooth out the, smooth out the bumps, blah, 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 blah. First become alive. <laughs> right? First be made alive. And then do that stuff. That's the stuff that happens after we're alive. But make no mistake about it, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Does it make you feel good about yourself? That's who we were. That's who we are apart from Jesus. And so, shame on us if we think we're so much better than the person that we disagree with. And we should express peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men because we were that person. And we would continue to be that person if it were not for Jesus. That's our reality. We're always serving someone. He says here, we're serving various lusts and pleasures. We're always serving someone. It's just a matter who we're serving. Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I've made myself a slave of Christ. And he's a good master. He's a good master. But verse 4, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... Notice that? And again, in the context of what we're talking about, how we carry ourselves matters. How is the love and, and grace of God described? Kindness. When the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. So don't forget that it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance, Scripture says. Nobody ever gets beat into submission in the Lord. It's the kindness. I was talking to a guy earlier, right? It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. God loves us. God wants to draw us in. Not by works, verse 5, of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What a verse. What a verse. So there's nothing good in us that earns God's favor. It's all about His love for us, right? And when we talked about responsibility and sovereignty, this is a sovereignty verse. It's not by works of righteousness. We're not good enough to go to heaven. We'll never be good enough to go to heaven. Nobody apart from Jesus has ever in all of humanity been good enough to go to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness. It's by His mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, regeneration, right? Gen, G-E-N, means beginning, birth, right? Genesis, right? The beginning, the first book of the Bible, right? Regeneration, rebirth, right? We're born again. 
I remember years ago, this was way up when I lived in Indianapolis. I was talking to this lady. We got to talking about the Lord in my uh, day job, my secular job, as opposed to, never mind. Right? My day job, my day ministry, right? I was talking to her. She said, Yeah, my daughter goes to one of those churches where they, they say you got to be born again. Really? You know, one of those weird churches. Yeah. No kidding. This lady's about, I forget, she's about 112 years old. I said, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, 111 years. All my life. Really? Your daughter, she goes to one of those churches that says you've got to be born again. Wow. That's crazy. You don't think you have to be born again? No. So you disagree with Jesus, who said the words, you must be born again. Did he say that? Yeah, it's in one of those obscure verses. You've probably never read it. It's John chapter 3. Should we read our Bibles? Yeah. Do we need to be born again? Yeah. And here's what else is interesting. We're talking about you know, these verses like there's nothing good in us, we can't earn this by our righteousness, all this, that, and the other, right? When Jesus said that in John chapter 3, who's he talking to? Nicodemus. If there was a man on the face of the earth that could be good enough to go to heaven at that point in history, who would that man have been? Nicodemus. Who did Jesus choose to say those words to? The most righteous Jewish Pharisee looked, you know, regarded, regarded as the chief professor, all that, right? The go-to guy. That's the guy that Jesus is explaining this to. We've got to be born again. And... If anybody could have been saved by works, it would have been Nicodemus, but he wasn't, and he couldn't be. So we need to be experience the washing of regeneration and renewing, renewing of the Holy Spirit. We're renewed continually every day by the Holy Spirit for every decision, every situation, every choice not to sin. You know, we can't we can't overcome our sinful flesh without the daily filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians tells us, be filled with the Spirit. The verb is, it's an imperative, be filled, like a command, but it's also a continuing imperative. Be filled all the time. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians tells us, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We cannot live I mean, talk about faithfulness, talking about, talking about making the right decisions. I mean, by and large, you know what I mean. But, but moving the right direction in godly faithfulness till we take our last breath. That can't be done without the power of the Holy Spirit. Straight up. We can't like get saved and then live our life and do our thing. It's, it doesn't work. 
didn't work. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live faithfully. Verse 6, he goes on, whom he poured out on, on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is described as a not which or not, you know, whom. He's a person. He's the third person of the triune God. Whom he poured out. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not the man upstairs. It's whom is poured out on us. I love this. Whenever God does, an, does a, a good thing in our lives, He pours it out abundantly. When God loves us, He doesn't love us a little bit. He doesn't say, I'll meet you halfway. He doesn't say, you know, when they come crawling back on their hands and knees, that's when I'll love them. He doesn't do anything like that. He pours out His love on us. When He gives us His Holy Spirit, He pours out His Holy Spirit on us. Luke tells us, you know, if, if you're a father and your son asks for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone, would you? Right? If, your son, if you have a child that's hungry, you're going to feed your child. He said, if you know that, and by the way, you're evil. The person we described in Ephesians 2. <laughs> by the way, you're evil, and you know how to do that. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And this is one of those things where, honestly, we get a little bit doctrinally weird about. Like, are you from one of those Holy Spirit? It's kind of like the born-again thing. Are you from one of those Holy Spirit churches? Yeah, I'm from one of those Holy Spirit churches, just like I think you ought to be. I'm one of those born-again churches, <laughs> right? What that means is, I am asking, Lord, please fill me with your Spirit. Because I need your spirit to just navigate the events of this life. I don't need your spirit so I can do cool things that will bring glory to me. I referenced you Simon the Sorcerer in Acts, I believe, chapter 8 or 9, something like that. Simon the Sorcerer said to Peter, remember him? Remember Peter came, Peter came to town? Simon the Sorcerer had been doing some pretty cool, like uh, uh, probably some demonic tricks right? Kind of winning a following. Peter comes to town, starts praying for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues and, you know, some pretty dramatic things start happening. Simon the sorcerer goes to Peter and he says, hey, can I buy that? <laughs> can you imagine telling that to Peter? Uh, no. Uh, he says, can I buy that? And he's like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, right? What did Simon Sorcerer want? Simon Sorcerer wanted to manipulate the Holy Spirit to bring glory to himself. Now, the Holy Spirit is, sometimes gets manipulated by Christians. Yeah. Right? To bring glory to a person. I, I'm not down with that. But I am down with the Holy Spirit. Please fill me. Please, Lord, fill me with your Spirit so that I can be faithful so that I can be faithful. So he says, the Holy Spirit, he, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is just like, He's just like pouring it on us. Do you catch this? He's pouring it on us. He starts out, 
Can I review what we said so far? Be nice. Be humble. Be gentle. Be good citizens. Why? Because you were once losers. Until the time came when He died for you and poured His Holy Spirit to give you rebirth and daily renewal. You say, why didn't you just say it that way? Save us the half hour. But anyway. Because you wanted me to fill in the gaps. But he says, he says, not only that, not, having, having, not only having been justified, and again, justified is a $3 word we've said before, it's just as if I've never sinned before the eyes of a holy God. I can stand before a holy God, right? I mean, I'm sure I'll fall on my face when the time comes. But I can stand there just as if I've never sinned. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for me and I was reborn. And not only that, having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Think about that. Heirs. What does it mean to be an heir? It means you inherit all the stuff. Now, this can be a little bit awkward, right? So, you know, if things work out normally, right? Like if Tracy and I die before our kids and if the Lord tarries, it's a lot of ifs, by the way. And if, you know, there's some money in the bank at the time, they'll become what? Heirs. Right? It's kind of awkward, isn't it? Is this awkward? Like, I've got to die first. Right? But then they get stuff. Right? I remember my dad, before he passed, this had been a few years before he passed, he didn't even know he was sick. He bought a new truck. And if you'd ever known my dad, my dad was, um, well, he's one of those old school, we used to call him tight. He was tight. As words of one of my friends said, he could, he could rub a buffalo nickel together so much that you could like hear the buffalo kind of scream, right? He, he, was, he was tight. Well, in his later years, he loosened up pretty good. Bought himself a truck <laughs> in his 80s, right? A new truck. A nice new truck. And my cousin later told me he brought that truck home. And he's in his 80s, right? When you get, no disrespect if you're in your 80s, right? But you think with a little different perspective than you do when you're 25. Is that fair? Right? My dad gets home with his brand new truck. He tells my cousin, hey, Look what my kids bought me. <laughs> my kids bought me this cool truck, right? It means that's the inheritance minus the truck that my dad just bought, right? Do I care? Right? I used to tell my dad, you got to do something with that money. Have fun. Enjoy your truck. Right? So it's kind of this thing, right? Like, there's this inheritance, but... Somebody has to die for the inheritance to happen. Check this out. In our Christian life, the death has already happened. It already happened. We don't have to sit around waiting for Jesus to die so we can, get the, so we can cash in. Right? He died for us. And now we're heirs. We are heirs. We are heirs. You catch this? 
And sometimes we live like we don't think we're heirs. Now, I'm not saying we're, we should be pompous and we should you know, act like royalty. But we should act like we're taken care of. We should act like our daddy, God, takes good care of us. Is that fair? Does he take good care of us? Has he always taken good care of us? Will he always take good care of us? Does he take good care of us today? You bet he does. Is he pretty loaded? I mean, that, to use a term from my generation, as they say, right? Loaded. Right? Went to high school, everybody used to talk about, you know, whose dad was loaded. Right? Our daddy's loaded. Right? And we are heirs. And we don't have to wait around for him to die. We are heirs today. Does he let us go through stuff so we can learn? Yeah, he does. But really, it's just so we can learn. We're heirs. Is God good to us? That's all, catch this, that's all sovereignty stuff, right? God takes good care of us. We were dead in trespasses and sins. He came and he died for us. He takes good care of us. He, he rebirthed us. He renews us. He pours out his Holy Spirit abundantly on us. He gives us all this. He takes good care of us. He makes us heirs, right? Make sense? This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Catch this. That's responsibility. Right? I just talked about God is good. God saved us. God saved us. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. He gives us His Holy Spirit. All, all that stuff. Therefore, you know what we need to do? We need to affirm these things constantly. And we need to be careful to maintain good works. That's responsibility, right? And so this sovereignty and responsibility thing is not just for the sake of theological arguments. It's important that we get the, the, and it's important that we get the order right. I always talk about the order. The order matters. God is so good to me. God saved me before the foundation of time. Therefore, I realize it and I need to maintain good works. I need to be faithful because I recognize too many people over the years fall off the rails. Don't go the distance. Get distracted. Either by the thorns, by the thorny soil or the rocky soil. There's too many of them. And so I look at the goodness of God and that drives me. And I look at it again, and that drives me. I need to be reminded of the goodness of God. That drives me. And what it's going to make me want to do is be careful to maintain good works. But do we need to be encouraged sometimes? Hey, be careful to maintain good works. Right? Do we need to be encouraged that? Sometimes exhorted? Yeah. Hey, I want you to affirm these things constantly. So there's the sovereignty and responsibility working together for our discipleship. And that's how it rolls. But, be, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. So, he changes, he 
it's not really a change of gears, it's really a continuation, right? What's going to happen when, if we live in harmony with, you know, one another in the body of Christ and in our community and in our society with our citizenship and all that kind of stuff, we recognize God is good and as a response to that, we love him and serve him and we're going to continue these things faithfully. And then we all get along and everything's cool, right? Well, not always. <laughs> we should avoid foolish disputes, Genealogies. Everybody's going to, everybody in those days was wanting to trace their genealogy back to give them some kind of spiritual hierarchy. Contentions. Do we have contentions today? Yes. yes. Strivings about the law. Can I tell you what is more painful than passing a kidney stone? Listening to somebody argue theology in the church just for the sake of hearing themselves be heard. Right? It's painful. And it's destructive. He says these things are unprofitable and useless. Honestly, because I'm the pastor, every now and then I'll have somebody that wants to, uh, thankfully, none of you guys. You guys never do that. I've had people that want to get into a theological debate with me. Like, I'm, I'm, trying to teach the word. I'm trying to encourage people. I'm trying to pray for needs, right? And somebody wants to rabbit trail me into a theological hole, right? Now, I'm not very receptive to that because it's a distraction. I mean, do we, need to be, do we need to have sound doctrine? Yeah, have sound doctrine. Have sound doctrine. But don't try to debate me when I'm trying to pray for somebody else. Does that make sense? These things are unprofitable and useless. By the way, somebody wants to get into a theological argument. Do they want to have a discussion or, do they, or are they just convinced that they're right and they need to bring me to their side? This, again, that's why I like spectrums, right? It keeps coming back, right? That's why I like spectrums. There's no right, there's no right spot on the spectrum. I make that point deliberately. Right? Your spot, your spot may be where the Lord has you, right? But there's no right or wrong spot on the spectrum. So, avoid those things. You know what I do usually when, I, when one of those arguments comes my way? I avoid them. He says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Now, the idea of a divisive person is a person who wants to force somebody to take, this, take one side or the other of an argument. And I just say this as a warning, just as, just, a, just as a sort of a heads up. A divisive person, whether it be in a family or in the body of Christ or in the workplace, they're around. You look around, you'll find them. Number one, a divisive person wants to draw lines, wants to lump a group of people here and a group of people here and there's a line down the middle and one group is right and one group is wrong, right? And that person, you can, you can almost take this to the bank, that person feels more validated if they have what? More people on their side. So what do they do? 
they recruit. Hey, did you hear about what pastor did when he got upset at that lady at Walmart that was probably going to go to hell because he didn't preach to her? Did you hear about that guy? Did you hear about what he did? That was wrong. You know, what did Absalom do, right? Absalom's sitting out the gate, right? He says, hey, it's a bummer you have to go to the king and ask for help. Now, if I were king, and let me just say this, I'm, and I'm not being self-preservation. Well, I am, okay, I'm self-preserving. I'll admit it, I am, okay? If you catch yourself saying, now, if I were the pastor, can I just tell you, ask the Lord, why, why, do you, why would you say that? You know, if I were the CEO of this company, if I were the boss, I'd do, this, I'd do it this way, okay? And ask yourself, number one, what's your motive? And number two, who are you saying that to? The other guy at the water cooler? Okay, let me just tell you this. Let me just call it. That's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Now, are there some toxic workplaces in America today? Yeah, there's some toxic workplaces, right? And sometimes we have to call things out a little bit, right? But just be careful. Let it not be, let it not be said of us that we are a divisive man, right? Let that not be said of us. Now, interestingly, Paul says, give the guy a warning and then give him a second warning and then reject him. Okay, so that's gracious. But why does he say then reject him? We might say, wow, Bible sure is harsh. Why would, let's say somebody here is divisive. I won't point out anybody. It'd be too much fun. Let's say somebody here is divisive. And I warn them. I say, please don't do that. That's not cool. And then they keep doing it. And then I, tell, I warn them again. Please don't do that. That's not cool. And then I say, you know what, I'm sorry, but you're not welcome here. Am I being harsh with that person? A little bit. Probably, if it's kind of what we're talking about here, are they going to smear my name all over on their way out the door? Probably. But why did I do that? Well, number one, because the Bible says to. But number two, catch this now, to protect the rest of you. Sometimes hard decisions need to be made to protect the body from its own. Those are hard decisions. Sometimes, can I say this? You might have extended family that you need to protect your family from. Those are hard. Right? Those are hard. Sometimes a church needs to be protected right? A divisive person is a, is a dangerous, dangerous person. And let's not make any mistake about it. Proverbs chapter 6 says this. Starting in verse 16. These, these six things the Lord hates. Now that sentence ought to get our attention. Because God is fundamentally a God of love. But there's some things that God hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, 
a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. God puts one who sows discord among brethren in the same list as hands that shed innocent blood. Murder. Cold-blooded murder. The person who sows discord among the brethren is a dangerous person. And the flock needs to be protected from him. Now, thankfully, I've never done that. I've never done that here. Right? And I'm very thankful for that. Right? I mean, usually if people get that sideways, they kind of go away passively. Right? But just be careful. Be careful. And these are hard words, but they're here, so we read them. Fair enough? When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, or some people say Tychicus, I don't know which it is, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. And so Paul's sending these just now personal kind of uh, PSs, if you will. Uh, he's going to send either Artemis or Tychicus there, and uh, they're going to take Titus's place, and then Titus, he wants Titus to meet up with him. This is, uh, most people say this was written between, and we've talked about this if you care, uh, Paul was imprisoned at the end of the book of Acts, and then most historians say he was there for a couple of years, and then he was released, and then when uh, Rome burned in 64 AD, I believe it was, Nero, King Nero wanted to blame somebody, so he blamed the Christians, and then he's kind of on a campaign to basically persecute the Christians. He imprisons Paul and Peter, and Paul is put to death. So this is probably written between those two um, imprisonments, and uh, so he wants to... Wants Titus to meet up with him. He also says, send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. So Zenos the lawyer, some have said that, uh, you know, Paul wanted some legal defense because he knew that his, his second um, imprisonment was coming. And so he wanted to have a lawyer on hand, which is probably handy. As well as Apollos. And, you know, we know of Apollos as a, a wise orator, uh, throughout the scriptures. And let, let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. You know, it's healthy for the body to serve one another. I love that. I love it when that happens. It's just healthy. He says, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be to you all. Amen. I love that he concludes with grace. That's what drives him. That's what drives us. The grace of God. There you have the pastoral epistles. Right? So, we're saved by grace and mercy. The grace and mercy and love of God, which is so overwhelming to us. He saves us. He gives us new birth that we could never attain on our own. He pours out His Holy Spirit on us who who renews us daily, empowers us to live the Christian life faithfully. Along the way, that should impact 
how we interact with others in the church and in society, and it should affect our citizenship on this earth. And we learn to interact with others in a way to edify them, to realize that most arguments can be avoided. And if we do encounter somebody that can't stand to not argue, Romans 12 says, if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. Many of you have heard me say this before. If it be possible, live peaceably with all men. You know what that says? That word if? I mean, sometimes it's not necessarily possible. But we have to do our part, right? We have to do our part. There are things I can do to engage a fight. And I've noticed, I've tried to tell my kids this over the years. There's a funny thing that I've noticed in my life and others. It takes at least two people to have a fight. You ever notice that? It takes at least two people to have a fight. You know, it's a wonderful life that uh, guys fighting with Clarence, I forget what it is. Remember that at the end? Somebody, I'm butchering it bad, but somebody's fighting with Clarence, the angel, and then he kind of disappears. And then he's like fighting himself. That's pretty awkward, don't you think? It takes at least two people to have a fight. And if I'm not one of them, then there's one less person to have a fight with. Is that like, see there again, told you I'm not giving you any new insight. Like, whoa, it takes two people to have a fight. That was heavy. <laughs> to you, again, use a word from my generation, right? No. Let's just be gracious people. Let's just be gracious people because God saved us and we didn't deserve it. Right? Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you saved us. Thanks that you're so good to us. Thanks that you love us. Lord, help us to be that good soil that goes the distance. And Lord, even today, I would ask that if there are any of us that find ourselves in rocky soil, that soil can be cultivated. Help us to be diligent to do that. For those of us that might find ourselves today in thorny soil, those thorns can be pulled up. That ground can be cultivated. Help us to do that. Give us the power by your Holy Spirit to do that. To be diligent, to be faithful, to respond appropriately to your love. That we would love you and serve you as you deserve. Lord, help us to be those people. Guide us and lead us, please, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We have an awesome, awesome week.